The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! James, it's a frolicking deer in the snow. Oh, 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 oh
Footman, would, would you like to help me introduce this week's episode? I hope I would. Jesus Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I guess that's what we're doing. Uh, well, since I can't... I got you a curveball for Christmas. Thank you. Well, I, since I, we can't find James anywhere in this snowy wilderness, you're going to have to help me, Footman, introduce this week's episode. It's a very special episode, Footman. I refuse. I'll get James. I'm back. I'm here. Are you sure? <laughs> the the curveballs keep coming. <laughs> well, James, you're just in time. I was just introducing this week's episode. Oh, we're a Jack White history program, and we also celebrate the holidays. Yeah, and we also have delightful, lovable characters that everybody has been asking for. Just clamoring for that. Yeah. yeah. No, they really just love that drunk, clawsy fella. Yeah, this is our Jack White History Podcast, and I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. Yeah, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky, and this week we're going to do something a little different. You know, there's lots of people traveling at the holidays, and... Uh, mm. You know, busy and such, and I think you and I are are some of those people, and so what we've done for your busy holiday season is put together a special little stocking stuffer episode, which has a lot of little tidbits that we've uh, amassed holiday-wise throughout the uh, course of the, oh, two and a half years we've been doing this podcast, plus some new stuff, James. Yeah, it's got old stuff, new stuff, families. We'll do this up near Christmas. I don't know why I went up tone with that one, but um, yeah. yeah, so we put this together, and if you don't like it, well, we call it a stocking stuffer, because you could take this phone that you're listening to <laughs> and just put it right in your stocking. You basically said, well, if you don't like this episode, you can go ahead, turn it sideways, and stick it straight up your candy cane ass. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to go through some delightful holiday musings, and we have an all-new interview this week with Mark Bauer. He's the junior booking agent for the White Stripes and yeah. uh, the Tours and the Dead Weather, and so we couldn't let you all go this holiday season without something new, something interesting, something borrowed, or something blue. Uh, have a new Sang. thrusting on that. Yeah, there's a lot of thrusting in your acting, which is fine. A little light Santa play never hurt anybody. <laughs> uh, we hope you enjoy, and we've got a bunch of stuff here for you to dig through and unwrap. Unwrap us at Christmas. Yeah. So some stuff will be old, some will be new. We found a couple little tidbits in here that we hope you all enjoy. And so we will be back in two weeks for our annual year in review episode, which we normally would put up right about now if it weren't for all that pesky travel, James. Yeah, Santa only travels one night a year. We tend to travel for a little more than that because we both live very far from everybody else. So sorry about that. But, you know, you get something new here anyway. We hope you all enjoy this and have a happy uh, holiday and a good new year. And we'll see you back in two weeks here for an all new episode. But hey, check out some of the new stuff in this one. You know, it's worth sticking around for. It's a great interview with Mark and we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. All right. We're the third man. <laughs> Be the one, the only... 
Candy Cane Children. Candy Cane Children. I love that song. Do you? Because it's fine, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I love it because it's the only White Stripes Christmas song that we've really got. So that's, that's why I love it. That is accurate. It's kind of a weird double release. It originally came out on a Flying Bomb record label presents Surprise Package Volume 2. Now, they used to release a yearly Christmas album featuring Detroit bands, Flying Bomb being a Detroit record label. So they released Candy Cane Children. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it looks like this this thing is pretty cool here. They got Rocket 455 on there? Yeah. It was originally released as a Christmas compilation in 1998. The track list for the compilation consisted of rocket 455 santa ain't coming for christmas of course not not for rocket 455 oh screw you guys yeah. rocket 455 what are you getting for christmas i don't know you ain't getting none for christmas yeah you suck <laughs> So they were the they were the side A of the surprise package volume two. Rocket four fifty five, also well known for having the song Bone Broke written for them by the White Stripes, which the White Stripes would later use on their album Icky Thump. Right, and we had that awesome forty five release of that of the Rocket four fifty five version earlier this year. Yeah, it's uh pretty badass. Side B consisted of the blow tops. Sidewalk Santa, and I guess he—I guess he's not coming for Christmas because he's homeless. He's on the sidewalk. I—I know we're all laughing our heads off. Did you have to borrow a reindeer to get down here? (laughs) Uh, And then finally, the White Stripes round out the forty-five with side B two. Candy Cane Children. Now, this song is bizarre, to say the least. It's a Christmas song in that Jack White's talking about Christmas in it. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's not It's not exactly holly or jolly. It's not a belly full of laughs. It's more of like a warning for kids and adults alike. <laughs> I, d- I don't quite understand what he's warning us about, but it seems like he's warning us about something. Yeah. I think it's about wishing for more than you have. Like, a, I think he's talking about a toy gun in this. So, yeah, the song was actually going to go on Flying Bomb's surprise package, The Collector's Edition, which would be a compilation of all of the songs they released. But they had to remove the track from the compilation altogether. The reason was because XL, along with V2, the White Stripes' current label, decided to release 
the track themselves. Right. What what year did this come out again? The surprise package came out in 1998. Okay. So they're still on Sympathy at that point, but Flying Bomb, I guess, did this independently of whatever Sympathy they're doing. Correct. The White Stripes in 2002 decide to release Merry Christmas from the White Stripes on XL Recordings. Got it. Okay. Merry Christmas from the White Stripes contains a side A with Candy Cane Children, which we had previously heard on the Flying Bomb record. So side A starts off with Candy Cane Children. It's mixed by Jack White and Brendan Benson at Grand Studio Detroit. That's so wild. Brendan Benson of Tours fame. (laughs) I can't believe Brendan did. And and didn't he play this with Brendan, too? Uh, It's possible. I don't honestly know. Wait a minute. Yeah, so he did play this song with Brendan Benson live at the Gold Dollar. Uh, Jack White and the Bricks was the... Hot dog. Yeah, and that was released on that awesome vault package. Bricks are what I pass when I come down the chimney. Whoa, ho, ho, ho. Santa, that was much cleaner than the other stuff. (laughs) I also bricks, Paul. (laughs) No, ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Oh, God. That was cool. That was great. So, yeah, it was mixed in Grand Studio Detroit, and it was recorded at the corner of Ferdinand and Howard in Detroit. You realize we're going to have to see all these places when we go finally visit there, right? hell yeah. Anyway, do you know what Candy Cane Children is also in the White Stripes universe? I mean, Jack and Meg? Well, kind of, sort of, but it is also the name that White Stripes fans gave themselves in the early days of the Stripes universe. Oh, oh, that's cool. If you were a fan, you were a Candy Cane child, much like... Lady Gaga has her little monsters, and Santa has his reindeer. Yeah, or and, elves. Uh, yeah, the Beatles had uh, apple scruffs, and the Greenhorns have the Greenhorn green horn dogs. dogs. Yeah, oh, I yes. mean, we could go on for days. That's interesting. I, di- I didn't know that. So here's a quote from Jack. I'll put on my Jack scent for this. We wanted to give a little gift to our fans. It was sort of in the tradition of the Beatles' Christmas greetings. The 45s from the 60s that they used to put out. Ring the Beatle bell! <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Every time a beetle bell rings, a Jack White gets his wings. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Only 3,000 copies were printed, and they immediately sold out. Candy Cane Children was re-released for Christmas of 2002 by the White Stripes for XL at first. Um, 1,000 copies were on black vinyl. And V2, later on, released Merry Christmas from the White Stripes with 3,000 copies on white vinyl in the U.S., And this time around, Candy Cane Children was backed with... Nothing! Reading Reading of the story of the Magi and Silent Night. Oh, I love this so much. So, reading of the story of the Magi is side B. It's Jack White reading 
the book of Matthew uh, from the Bible, straight from the source, Jack White being a good, good Catholic boy. Yep. He reads it with Meg in the room with a radio kind of murmuring in the background. It's a sort of a strange, sincere, I guess you'd call it reading. I mean, he's definitely sounds like he's not, it's not sarcastic or anything like that. I mean, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And sending them to Bethlehem, he said, Go and make careful inquiry concerning the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. Now they, having heard the king, went their way. And behold, the star that they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, and entering the house, they found the child with Mary, his mother, and falling down, they worshipped him. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Yeah, the, the reading of the story, the Magi, jumps right into Silent Night, as uh, recited by Miss Megan White. Uh, um, celebrating her 42nd birthday at the time of this recording. Yes, yes. Happy congratulations. birthday, Meg. Happy, happy birthday. Yeah. Silent Night sang a cappella by Meg, which is very rare. I mean, we have like two songs in the White Stripes discography. Women, listen to your mother. Don't just succumb. To the wishes of your brothers. Ho, ho, ho. It's a cappella, and it also has in the middle of it an argument with Jack White and Meg, because Meg forgets the lyrics <laughs> to Silent Night, and Jack starts saying, <laughs> Ranyan Virgin. Ran, no, Ranyan Virgin. Ranyan Virgin. <laughs> no, just sing Ranyan Virgin. Jack is very insistent that it's Ranyan Virgin. And Jack is very wrong. At the end, he does apologize. Jack, it is Ranyan Virgin. Yeah, you're right. It's Ranyan Virgin. I was wrong. Paul, this was mixed by two people. I'll give you one of them, but you have to give me a guess at the other one. Mixed by Jack White and can you guess the second person? Who is it? Is it Snakes? It's me, Snakes. It's not Snakes. Leave it on a doorstep and get the hell out of here. Paul, what what happens if you crush coal very hard? Oh, you get uh, a certain Mr. Jim Diamond. That's right, you little boy. <laughs> you get Jim Diamond at Ghetto Recorders in Detroit. Wow. So this is mixed with the Sympathy uh, record because, you know, they were still on Sympathy during the White Blood Cells era in 2002 when this was released. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Huh. So, yeah, it's, it's a really cool B-side to have. It's, like Jack says, it, it is very reminiscent of the Beatles 45s that they released because it's not a song per se. It's more just uh, them hanging out. And I kind of like hearing that little snippet of their lives. Right. Yeah. It would, how cool would that have been to get like a, a Beatle Christmas record style white stripes Christmas record every year? That would have been awesome. <sighs> oh, I would kill for a Jack White vault, uh, like Christmas release every year. That'd be so uh, good. So it was yeah. a very rare record in 2002 to get because it was only limited to 3,000 copies. Hmm. In 2010, Jack White decided to release 333 copies printed on red vinyl as part of a White Stripes 2010 holiday merchandise package. Aww. It included a record player. It included headphones. It included some other assorted White Stripes paraphernalia. 
So it was still very rare, but an extra 333 copies were released in this package. But as of the past couple years, they decided to put it in print forever on black vinyl. Nice. For every little good boy and girl <laughs> to get in their stockings. Oh, man. From Direct from ThirdManRecords.com. The A-side was originally recorded in 98, and its title has been appropriated by Stripes fan as a term to describe themselves as a group. The B-side features Meg singing an acapella version of Silent Night, coupled with Jack reading the story of the Magi from the Bible. The whole thing is a warming, heartfelt pile of Christmas goodness dig in oh well i mean the the side b definitely feels a little more christmasy than the actual song itself but yeah it's pretty cool i'm, I'm happy we have it you know you, you don't always get christmas releases with with these with uh with groups so that's cool yeah no i'm i'm happy with it the album artwork had new artwork of jack and meg selling christmas cheer uh, and taking money from somebody, I honestly don't know who that is. So if any of you candy cane children out there know who that is, let me know. Uh, so and it, and, and, and there should be noted, the Christmas cheer costs $3. Another three. And it's just, it looks like nativity scene figurines are the are the, are the cheer. Are the cheer. Yeah, that's all the cheer he's given. Yeah. Jack's giving Christmas uh, Catholic guilt <laughs> for Christmas. And the back cover uh, has Meg writing in chalk above the door, 2002 K plus M plus B. And uh, from what everybody can kind of guess, because they never really explain it, that seems to be a reference to the three wise men, Casper, Melkon, and Balthazar. Aha. Uh-huh. And 2002 being the year they released this album. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, that's... Merry Christmas from the White Stripes featuring Candy Cane Children. James, don't stop now. (laughs) (laughs) The other half is I found out, uh, which I realize this is, you know, it's a little more of a tangent because it's a little more Christmassy, but, you know, it's getting it's getting to be that time. This also has a, a feast. Karen Elson hosted a holiday entertaining special from her Nashville home where she cooked a pre-Christmas English dinner. Wow. It's good. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. You guys go and you go do a tour in Finland, you eat Finnish food, okay? She takes Vogue through a tour of her home where she cooks Yorkshire pudding, sausage stuffing, herb-roasted parsnips and carrots, and a Moroccan spiced turkey. Now this, you guys, will be the last comfort food that you're going to get until you get back from tour. I know. Arthur, I mean, we really don't have time to eat right now because we have to get the gear packed up. Comfort food, Jackie. Ooh, All prepared with the help of her friend, Chef Matthew Mosshart. Don't know if there's any relation. Oh, there's gotta be. So Karen had said, you don't overdo it with the food. It's about making things that are simple and delicious. Think about the menu. And if you're not a skilled chef, which I am not, follow a recipe. You can't go wrong if you don't cut the fine print. Damn right. She says she's a fan of creating the vibe with flowers, candles, and music. I like making guests feel like it's not formal and they can relax in my home. She says there's not a lot of food and she doesn't <laughs> want tension in the house. That's not how Thanksgiving works. You do it right, you have so much food that you throw out half of it, and <laughs> and everyone's uncomfortable the whole time. It's true. Yeah, she was she was decked out in 1920s-esque velvet and had David Bowie and Little Drummer Boy on her playlist. They also include recipes for her mini Yorkshire pudding and blood arm, orange 
Arma Arma Armagnac? Armagnac, yeah, it's it's Armagnac. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Karen Elson's Christmas feast. She's <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da! You're that's, that's what I could dig up as a as a as a ragged wish. Island James is here. That <laughs> echoed crazy. That was like putting reverb on it, man. That was nuts. Well, James, I am here in frigid Southern California. Welcome back from both of us to all of you to the Third Men podcast. We are a Jack White history podcast that goes over Jack White music and history. And in this case, a little bit more. Jack White isn't something that can be bought from a store. Jack White, it seems, is a little bit more. What? (laughs) Guys, remember Grinch? (laughs) Well, let me lift my (laughs) sunshades up and step out of the sand uh, into this echo chamber that I've found myself inside (laughs) of. Do you know why I escaped from that cold, cold mountainous northeast to to come on down here to Florida? (laughs) Why did you escape from that cold on down to Florida or whatever you said? So that I can more, so that I can more comfortably talk about our topic for today. Oh, hey, what's our topic for today? Our topic is Cold Mountain today. Cold Mountain, the film starring Re- Renee Zellweger, Nicole Kidman. We got Mr. Jude Law in got- there, and we got Donald Sutherland. But most importantly, James. A seven Academy Award-nominated movie, as well as a masterpiece. A spectacular, says Rex Reed of the New York Observer. Yes, but James, the key thing we're not, we're dancing around here for Stunning, some stupid reason. Stunning, says Newsweek. Yeah. Is, uh, this film features Mr. Jack White in his, his first major film role, certainly major one. His first Dolby Digital 5.1 surround sound role, says the back of this DVD case. <laughs> And like I said, he was there for six weeks in the freezing cold. He said uh, there was a lot of snow, constantly snowing there. It was constantly freezing cold. Jack had said in an interview, and my character was always in the snow. All of my scenes were in the snow. And there was a lot of downtime just waiting around for the snow to finally hit a lot of the time. He's actually in New York for this interview, and he, he gestures outside to a blizzard that's going on in Manhattan at the time. And he says, and this out there, this ain't no big deal. <laughs> actually, a few days after this interview, Meg actually slips and falls and breaks her arm in New York soon after this interview because of the snow. Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, this this ties in with the Hollywood stuff and the snow stuff. Uh, maybe the circumstances had something to do with it as well, but we all got to know each other really well. I was totally in the mindset that it would actually be tremendously difficult to deal with the stuck-up Hollywood egos. But actually, I became good friends with them all, including uh, Miss Renee Zellweger. Uh, they became a little more than friends, Paul. <laughs> um, uh, of course, Renee Zellweger was fresh off of her steamy love affair with Hollywood superstar Kenny Baker. So yeah, they they flew Meg in and pulled out a complete white stripe set in front of the film's 400 actors, technicians, and staff. Renee was there, Jude Law was there, Nicole Kidman was there, everybody was there. Wow. They, they played in a hotel just out, outside of Bucharest on Nove- November 23rd, 2002. Jack had said it was a stylish old hotel in 
Brasov, right outside Bucharest, just before Christmas. And then we stood up there and played Isis and one more cup of coffee with T-Bone Burnett himself, who had played with them. Uh, T-Bone had actually played with Dylan uh, on the Rolling Thunder Review Tour. Um, And Jack had said, this is definitely a high point of the film project for me. What had happened, actually, was during the encore, a Romanian folk dancing group was there, and someone had given them a White Blood Cells record. And so when uh, they came out to do their encore, the Romanian folk dancing group got out with them and did some of the extra songs with them. Whoa. Uh, They practiced their dance routine to Fell in Love with a Girl and I Think I Smelled a Rat. They performed in full traditional costume. Oh, that's the best thing I ever heard. Yeah. I love that. Jack had said it was it was great. It was surreal, very odd. There was this Romanian dance troupe there, and they rehearsed a couple of numbers to dance with us while we played behind them. So there were these very clumsy Romanian dancers in these 20s flappers outfits in this communist cabaret theater with Nicole Kidman and Jude Law dancing in front of us. It was very <laughs> odd. <laughs> Meg's quoted as saying and I met everybody at that party they were all really nice I always thought movie sets would have lots of these egos flying around but it wasn't like that at all the Stripes played an hour long set when t- qu- talking about the show Jack said uh, he was the children of the night he said in a belly L- Bella Lugosi accent um, <laughs> we were using this pieced together duct taped Romanian equipment but T-Bone Burnett was there and he was on that Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder review tour. So he did two Dylan songs with us, Isis and One More Cup of Coffee. It was really fun. Wow. That's really awesome. Yeah. So that was uh that was the rap party and that was that was the film, Paul. Wow. Should we it's been a long should, road. Yes. We, we we arrived at Cold Mountain. Yes, we climbed up this cold mountain. Uh <laughs> and I think it's time that we settle into our log cabin in this cold, cold mountain and talk about not only the sights but the sounds as well. Oh, tell me about the sounds, James. The next track, the very next track, is Jack White doing Christmas Time Will Soon Be Over. And Paul, uh. we, we did learn, uh, Paul, should we should we hear a little bit of this song? Christmas time, soon be over, and a Christmas time, soon be over, and a Christmas time, soon be over, and we'll join the band. Catching a fiddle in a Christmas time, catching a fiddle in a Christmas time, catching a fiddle in a Christmas time. Then we'll join the band. Christmas time will soon be over. We actually got into, uh, like I said, on episode 12, we gave a little bit of background on it that Paul had learned on the fly, uh, which is super oh, yeah. interesting stuff. It's a it's a mixture of different folk tunes and fiddle tunes. This, this version of it, though, is actually the traditional song with some other Jack White additional original content mixed in it's arranged by jack white and norman blake norman blake being the mandolin player on never far away it includes harmony vocals by brendan gleason and riley bogus as well as mandolin by norman blake himself yeah. uh good song good tune it's like a hoedown you know like in the movie it's used in that regard and it works very well there it's an atmospheric piece that is very clearly a successful folk tune. I would say it's a it's a successful song that people sit down and listen to all the time because it's, it's the roots of Christmas Times a Comin, a very popular song for a very popular Christmas song that's played almost every year on the radio. So, I don't well, know. I, I I put this under like 
I wouldn't sit down and listen to Turkey in the Straw unless Mr. Carl Butterball was was scatting all over it. Excuse me? <laughs> Did somebody call my name? Carl, Carl, what's up? What'd you get for Christmas, Carl? I got this wonderful turkey ripper. Oh, Carl, wait, 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 I'm sorry. Turkey what? It's a turkey ripper. Turkey ripper. Okay, what is... It takes a delicious Carl Butterball live goblin turkey and turns it into a delicious cow butter bowl of turkey fresh for the eaten. <laughs> wait, wait, so the, what is, does the turkey ripper scrape away the skin and the eyeballs and things from the animal? Of course not. Those are some of the most delicious aspects of a cow turkey. Carl, have you redefined giblets for a new generation? <laughs> it's most important to remove the giblet, as we know. But, uh, as always, as I'm using my genuine car butterball Christmas turkey ripper, I am humming along. The Christmas time will soon be over. The Christmas time will soon be over. The Christmas time will soon be over. But I will join I wonder who out there actually enjoys Carl Butterball. <laughs> Paul, you're looking at him. All right, so we got Christmas time will soon be over. Via FamilyChristmasOnline.com Many folks first heard the tune Christmas Time Will Soon Be Over through Jack White's inspired and authentic interpretation on the Cold Mountain soundtrack. If that performance brought back memories of the bluegrass song Christmas Time's A-Comin' Christmas Time's A-Comin' Christmas Time's A-Comin' As recorded by Emmy Lou Harris on her classic Light of the Stable album, it should. If I have it right, and whoever is running Family Christmas Online might not, the song on Emmy Lou Harris's album is actually Tex Logan's update of the old fiddle tune that White used in the movie. According to the Bluegrass Messengers, the earliest known recordings of this song was in 1928 featuring Ooh. Fiddlin' John Carson and his <laughs> Virginia Reelers. <laughs> But the tune, like most old fiddle tunes, is probably much, much older, like the tune of Lulu Skip to Malu, one of uh, many harmonically similar tunes. I wasn't, but now that you say it, Lulu Skip to Malu (laughs) does sound an awful lot like the tune that he's plucking along to here. The Bluegrass Messengers classify this song as a breakdown, which means that it... Oh, it's just a breaking down! Which means that it consists of relatively short sections on which various instrumentalists can take turns playing improvised solos. That's via Family Christmas Online, and uh, after this recording is over, I'm just going to be digging into this website, because I want to find out all about what the hell Family Christmas Online is. If I need anything right now, it's a good old-fashioned black bro. Family Christmas. <laughs> now, Carl, Carl, what are you doing over here for Christmas now? I'm here to celebrate with my children and turkeys. Oh, uh... Out with it, split it out like my turkeys split out the water once they stare into the rain. Uh, uh, Carl, I prefer a pleasant Christmas ham. <laughs> How about a nice butterball turkey for Christmas? James, uh, a link on this 
website just says, quote, Christmas musings. <laughs> Paul, I will have you know, the rum I just drank <laughs> is the Christmas musing because it's all gone. The rum is all gone, Paul. There's just a link that says about Christmas trees. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, if there's any more to gather, we'll we'll put it up in the Cold Mountain episode. Yes. I am dead serious. I'm getting real drunk real quick. <laughs> What's the matter? It's almost Thanksgiving and I don't know what to do. I've got everything but a main course. What about a ham? Too small. A chicken? Too lame. A roast. Not lame enough. Hello there. I think I have an answer for you. A burglar? No, no. I'm Carl Butterball. Take anything you want. Don't hurt us. I won't take anything. (laughs) Instead, I'll leave you with this. A turkey? I'm scared. Not just any turkey. A patented Carl Butterball Family Farms brand turkey. Turkey. What do we do with it? It's the perfect main course for your Thanksgiving celebration. The finest turkeys with even finer warbles are selected to become Carl Butterball turkeys. The meat is moist and the giblets are divine. Try it cooked or raw. There's no going wrong with a Carl Butterball turkey. Wow, this is fantastic. Christmas is saved. You mean Thanksgiving. Oh, right. Christmas is Thanksgiving. That's right. This Thanksgiving, go for a turkey with the Carl Butterball seal of approval branded right onto the neck. Twas the cold, cold night before Christmas, and all through Third Man... Not a doorbell was ringing. Silent black gadgets in all hands. Not all the stockings were hung. My four words, they were heeded. Sleep tight, all you people. That would be all that I needed. The buzzards and peacocks were tucked right in bed. Next to the raconteurs and the weather that's dead. And Meg, with her drumsticks, and I, with my bangs, slept looking up at Allison, from the heavens she hangs. When out in the blue room, I heard such a groan, which disturbed me greatly, as I thought I was alone in my home. As I hang sprung from bed, I hustled and cussed. Then I reached for my musket, my trusted blunderbuss. Hey, swing! And the blunderbuss! The white moon and white snow were a little ghostly sight, and my peppermint pajamas were no protection from that cold, cold night. When what did I notice as I pointed my gun? A switch and a spur and a Brendan Benson! (laughs) (laughs) What are you wearing, I screamed to offend. (gasps) Why, it's a Santa Claus costume, my old familiar friend. Duh. As steady and together as eight store-purchased bones stood taxidermy reindeer named after the stones. That's Mickey and Jagger and Ronnie and Wood and Richards and Wyman and Keith's pretty good. (laughs) We forgot Ryan Jones. (laughs) I'll stop you right there, my broken boy buddy. 
You broke into the blue room, and I nearly shot you blue bloody. But Brendan just smiled and opened his sack. I brought presents for you all, even for little Jack. Oh, Brendan. <laughs> How thoughtful to bring gifts in your cart. You arrived here for Christmas with cold hands and a warm heart. And then with an outpour, the blue room started crowding with friends and musicians and the stones who were shouting. These reindeer you brought, at first I thought ill, but they're clearly stuffed animals arranged to be still. These deer are for you, Jack, said Brendan quite jolly. I brought presents for everyone. Here's one for Holly. It's true that I love it, Holly did decree. They're my favorite brand pain pills underneath the tree. There's drumsticks for Doro and a new Kango hat. Vance Powell got a soundboard and licorice black bat. For Lily Mae Rishi, some new fiddle strings. And Ruby Amonfu got a beehive that stings. <laughs> Old Dean Fatita got parallel items, though it took Brendan time to search his bag for to find them. For Alison Mossheart, the gesture was grand. Another sour cherry for her lonely fruit stand. For Keeler, a bass drum to play on the level. The brothers called Lovin' got a fight with the devil. Rob Jones got a rainbow for his machine gun clip. The poor boy got eponymous that fit right on his hip. And for Miss Margot Price, her farm a new lease. And even old Mary got a fresh batch of grease. But the very last present fit right on his leg. A peppermint pillow and quiet for Meg. Now not to be rude, or was still to be greedy. Jack said, enough! Leave this place so seedy. Then Brandon took off a most magical sight. Merry Christmas to Third Man, especially Jack White. Woo! We actually did it. We did it. Merry Christmas! <laughs> thank you guys. Yeah. Uh, and thank you to our parents, Wayne, Beth, Ariel, uh, parents, my parents, wife, and to all a good wife. Back to the show. Bye. <laughs> We'd like to welcome our third man for this week, Mark Bauer. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Mark, as third man fans and third man sort of connected fans, such as James and myself, your musical career as an agent really spans like every group we're interested in. Um, so that's uh, 
we're pretty excited to talk to you and get some insight here on some of these groups that you've uh, booked for and and things like that. But we'll start out just sort of rattling down the list. Groups you've represented over the years include the White Stripes, the Rackin' Tours, the Dead Weather, the Detroit Cobras, the Dirt Bombs, Co and the Knockouts, Holly Go Lightly, Whirlwind Heat, Soledad Brothers, the Greenhorns, the Go, and Blanche. Mark, did I miss anyone? Uh, I've worked with the company I was at had, you know, a vast roster, so... There were months where I was handling Dinosaur Jr. Oh, wow. Or filling in a few dates for Third Eye Blind or, <laughs> you know, whoever had stuff, you know, that needed some attention. You know, as I grew into my position as a junior agent, I'd get more of that stuff handed to me. Wow. You know, but I started out just interning and worked my way up from there. Well, let's start with this. Can you tell us a little bit about what a junior agent does. Are you booking shows or following up with venues? Is there any lead or direction you take from the artist with this sort of thing? Can you get, can you just walk us through a little bit about what your job entails? Yeah. Um, well, junior agent is a title that my company had. Every agency has different titles. Uh You know, like there's a main agent who is the responsible agent or the RA and then they have an assistant, and that assistant is typically just doing paperwork. Okay. If their assistant is elevated to a level of a junior agent, they're usually booking some of the smaller acts yeah. on the agent's roster. Okay. Handling the day-to-day for, you know, maybe the Detroit Cobras or the Dirt Bombs. Sure. Versus focusing on the big stuff, leaving the big stuff to, you know, the boss man to handle. Right, right, While right. I finely tune the details on it or gotcha. whatnot. So as a junior agent at that point, I had already been, you know, quote unquote, riding a desk for <laughs> four, four years or so. Right. I mean, hey, don't ask me, man. I'm just a desk jockey who was on my way home when you rang. I was interning. I got a position as just a general floater. Then there was those famous Bowery shows. Yeah. And I was there not working for the band, you know, in 2002. And then they came to me, I think, a week later and said, you know, we made an offer to purchase Easy Action Industries. Are you familiar with them? And I said, that's that small booking agent that has the white stripes and you know, a whole bunch of other Detroit things. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, if you know him. You know, and Dave at the time was working in his living room essentially right small booking agent you know the way a lot of people got the start you know he was a promoter at a club and bands kept saying hey do you mind helping me get a couple more shows in california because he's in san francisco and he began to know the people up and down the coast and then they started sending him people from all over the place and one day he got a call from a kid named jack in detroit (laughs) and he said hey i was told that you book bands and uh, I want to get out of Michigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sight and sound unheard, he gave him a shot because wow. he worked with two or three other bands that vouched for him. And so, Who were the vouchers? Was that like... I think it was a Tom Potter connection initially uh-huh. that brought Jack to Dave Kaplan. 
Wow. So once again, Tom Potter leads the way because Tom, we know, uh, was one of the people who told Jack, like, yeah, give Sympathy for the Record Industry a shot. So that is very interesting that Tom got in there. Very cool. One of the first White Stripes tours and uh, like one of their first sort of breaks outside of Detroit is California, right? He did a, they did a little tour of California really early on. Want to cry or do you want to be happy? What is it? direct result of this of him linking up with dave or was that i think that was them connecting with dave and some of the early shows that dave booked for them Mm -hmm. okay i started working with them in you know with dave late 2002 so that was you know after the bowery run wow you so you were right at the dawn of like them really exploding on the scene that's amazing yeah (laughs) (laughs) you were right there on the ground floor for a lot of this stuff uh, so we'll get back to the Jack stuff in a little bit, but my question as sort of a novice looking into the music world, or I don't really have the vocabulary for a lot of this. So what, what are the considerations that need to be taken into account when you're booking a group like the Stripes who let's, let's take the Stripes in that era. They're about to blow up. They're about to get huge. They're about to be all over the world, all over everyone's TVs. I mean, they already kind of were at that point. I mean, I guess they were already on SNL and even Letterman, I think by that time, but yeah, they did SNL just once with, with Senator McCain. I remember that weekend very specifically because their product manager from V2 Records is Sidney McCain. Okay. <laughs> Senator McCain's daughter from his first marriage. So it was a nice family reunion at the backstage. Right. That makes a lot of sense for the John McCain connection. That's funny because John McCain sort of followed the White Stripes around on that press tour a little bit because I think he also showed up on the same Letterman show that the Stripes were on. So a weird connection there. <laughs> but what, what kind of things need to be uh, taken into account when you're booking a group that like the White Stripes at that time? Well, there's a lot of factors that come into play. Everyone has their opinions. Yeah. The management wants, obviously, to fulfill the artist's wishes which is with jack he always wanted you know a venue that was unique good sight lines great sound he always was looking for something that was a great experience for the fan cool Mm. and uh one of my very frequent tasks was researching off the beaten track places that weren't (laughs) typical venues trying to find places that might be a place that they would consider playing wow 
I actually stumbled upon the venue in Glace Bay where they did the 10th anniversary cert, uh, party. Wow. You know, you know, Jack had mentioned he wanted to do something in Nova Scotia, his family that's from there. I started doing research, and I found this venue that was black, red, and white. <laughs> and it was in the city that's essentially the Canadian equivalent to the Ellis Island. Sure. So his family all came directly through there, which is why they made the tartan, they had the kilt. Right. They had, you know, that over-the-top show with Ashley McIsaac and... Dan Sartain. Right, right. Immortalized in uh, Under Great White Northern Lights. That's amazing. So you were there throughout their entire career, basically from their debut in the public eye right until the end. Yeah. I mean, that year was the end, pretty much. They hit all of Canada, and at the same time, we were finishing up the horn on the states. And uh, the West Coast states were the ones that we wound up canceling due to Meg's anxiety issues. And they never wound up getting scheduled. Right. And that came as kind of a transitionary point for the band anyway. You know, they had been moving slowly from Detroit to Nashville at that time. Speaking of, you know, the Nashville-Detroit collaboration, the Tours came out of Detroit and moved into Nashville. Do you have any Tours stories? You must have had a fun time booking them with the extreme hype around them with Steady As She Goes in the summer of 2006, and the Stripes still being in the mix. So any good stories revolving around the Tours? The Tours, you know, that was summer of 06 was right. a whirlwind. I remember being told, I think it was the Monday before South by Southwest, we got the official you know, you're getting the band discussion with the management as opposed to, you know, just the assumption that they were going to become one of our clients. And then we went off to South by Southwest. You know what happens when 17,000 people descend on the city at once? There's a good chance of getting sick. And I looked out, and I caught the flu pretty much (laughs) right away. Oh, man. And this is when we're on top of getting the client they also wanted to do a surprise show almost immediately upon announcing that they were a band so i'm sick with the flu i'm at south by southwest i'm pretty much delirious on cough medicine for the entire time i'm there working with my boss co-agent dave kaplan and uh-huh. where i don't remember many of the details because of the, the fog of being sick putting the show together but I know it came together tremendously quick I mean I knew the words to every song because I had the album so I'm there first day you know first show singing along and I'm becoming a local celebrity just because I'm able to sing to the songs
the level when you knew something was there with the band, you know, when people were impressed just that you knew the songs ahead of time. <laughs> That's a zeitgeist you don't see very often. Right. They played Bonnaroo the following year, and that was the year with Kanye, and there was rumors and whispers of, you know, this huge set that Kanye was doing. He had talked to the Henson Labs. There were supposed to be, you know, marionettes and super holograms and this whole thing. And I remember standing in the crowd <clears throat> hours after the Tours had played, waiting to see Kanye. He, you know, he wound up taking stage five hours after his set time. <laughs> he was supposed to play at 11. He went on at 3.15 in the morning. But that's a whole other thing. And I remember being in the middle of this huge crowd of people waiting to see Kanye. And I have my badge, my working pass with the Tour sticker on it. And all right. these kids from... <laughs> You know, when this audience of mixed people that were there for jam bands, hip-hop bands, EDM bands, and rock mm-hmm. bands were surrounding me just, like, to give me praise over the band that I was there working with. You know, right. that was something that yeah. really struck me. And, mm-hmm. you know, to see... Jack working with elements of all different musics now, right. you know, as he has over the last two decades anyway, it's really, you know, impressive to see that he's taken so much from everything that what I saw in the middle of a crowd, mm. you know, 11, 12 years ago influenced or didn't influence, but is still resonating through what Jack does today. Right, right. It's funny you say that because I think on the fan side as well as sort of the the uh, fellow musician side, uh, there is a lot of connectivity going on uh, with Jack going out. Um, speaking of connectivity, you know, with some of these bands that you represented, I'm looking at Greenhorn, the Greenhorns and Blanche involved other people that would wind up joining bands with Jack, including the Dead Weather. Do you have any uh, memories of Booking the Dead Weather, did did the formation of that band surprise you as it did so many people? And what were your thoughts or, or battle plan about going about booking the Dead Weather places? Oh, <laughs> when the Dead Weather came out, I mean, let's just say at this point, everyone wanted to be in the Jack White business. Mm-hmm. He had come off of doing everything White Stripes. Right. And then, in his off time, did the Tours, And while doing the Tours, created an album, I mean... Yeah. The, the desire was palpable before we even had a record in our hands. We knew that we had a hit with the band. Sure. You know, and... <clears throat> whereas... With the White Stripes, it was approaching it like a new band because we were, you know, when I came on board, they were still just at that cusp of the major markets. Yeah. What where are some of those top markets? Because I figure, you figure New York, L.A., what Chicago? Those, those are the what are, the, are those the big three, or is there what are the main sort of stuff you gotta you gotta hit? It's New York, Chicago, Kansas City, Toronto. Boston, D.C., you know, 
the basically state capitals across the board. Right. You know, those cities, they do fairly well. But it's when you get to the secondary, the tertiary markets, the places that are supported by college radio, right. that it's a little bit more difficult. Or when you get, you know, even further than that, to, you know, quaternary markets, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, when you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel right. as a touring artist or you're an artist that is so in demand that you just have to keep playing mm-hmm. you know there's there's two sides of that scale you know you can be a heritage artist you know someone like 90 years old this one's called Lamin Cup had one hit and they're touring on that hit mm-hmm. or you can be a band that like three doors down that just consistently can do 3,000 people anywhere they play. So mm-hmm. you can come and you can play New York, and the next time in the market you can play Sayreville, and then the next time around you can play Camden, and then the next time around you can play Brunswick, and then the next time around you can do Philly, you know, like and Atlantic City. and So you can hit so many different places in the area because you've got a demand. Right. Now, was there a, you know, it's it's an interesting dichotomy with the dead weather because obviously Jack was a big star. I think Allison was, you know, she's a rising star at that point. She had, she had a few hit records under her belt, but perhaps not the mainstream appeal of somebody like Jack. And, you know, Dean was making his name in, in Queens of the Stone Age, but a, a member of an ensemble there. And, you know, Jack Lawrence sort of blends in with any old musical crowd. So they're at one point an unknown quantity and and at another point a quite a known quantity was there any ever confusion that you ran into over people not really understanding why this was happening or that you know jack was on the drums that was going to be a different thing was there ever any any problems you ran into because they were such a new thing even though they contained elements of stuff that worked with a band like the white stripes when they were first building they were very niche There was a lot of empty space between where we would be able to put them. When it came to the tours, they were already an established entity. It was easy. Everyone wanted them. And then, here we go. Boom. Dead weather. A third thing. Mm. It was... It booked itself. Right. People were calling us before we knew the band was out. Whispers on the internet become faster than lightning, you know, so it was a pretty amazing time to be there. Yeah. 
Well, along those lines, that first White Stripes tour you worked on was, uh, must have been the Elephant Tour, give or take, in that time frame. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into the booking of that era of the White Stripes? Well, at the time, you know, we're talking 2001, 2002 era, you know, radio was still king. Hmm. You know, so dealing with a band like them at that time period, you know, there were factors that, you know, were important, Mm -hmm. specifically the radio markets. So when we knew the next album was coming out, you know, White Blood Cells was already blown up, and so the next album cycle was coming. So typically we would have a call with management and set up a time frame. You know, the album is going to be coming out in mid-April. We would like to do a show in these cities, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, New York, Mm -hmm. uh, the week of release. Uh, Thousand cap rooms, $20 tickets, whatever the stipulations were. Mm. And then we would book those shows. But, you know, beyond that immediacy, we would plan out the next few months. We would have you know, a calendar in front of us and we would have the record release date and we would have at the time, this was before festivals even were so big in the United States. We're talking about Bumbershoot, Coachella, Austin City Limits, Lollapalooza, maybe one or two other, you know, mm-hmm. regional things, uh, hardly strictly bluegrass, but not much. So a big part of it would be fishing for festival offers if the band was going to be around the time of a release or if it was the right time for the band. So all of these things were taken into consideration when we looked at when the album was coming out and when the band was going to be in what territory. We would also take a look at what radio stations have holiday concerts or summer stock, summer jam, whatever type of situations that we needed to play to for the band to get radio in a market that was essential to their building. So in building a band or building a tour for a band this size, I mean, there are tons of tons of things that come into it. You know, then you come with Jack wants venues that are a certain look. And then he wants pictures of those rooms. And he wants acoustic ratings from different points in the room. And these aren't things to say that the artist is a diva. They're trying to see if this non-traditional space works as a venue. You know, they were always pushing the limit. They started in bowling alleys, you know, so they had to be able to make a ruckus to play loud enough, you know, to beat the pins. So that was just another factor that built into it, searching for rooms, you know. Thankfully, you know, Google existed at the time. It wasn't as it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I could not imagine booking via Rolodex <laughs> and typing all, all contracts by hand. And, you know, now everything is so much easier. 
but that you know goes more into the duties versus what we're talking about in, t- in terms of the booking of the band. Promoter history is another thing. You know, the band played the market before. They played Bowery Ballroom, or they played Spaceland, or they played Empty Bottle, or they played Stubs, or, you know, name a venue. And so that promoter has history working with the band. So now it's the next time coming through. The next play for the band is bigger than the venue that that promoter has access to. You have to discuss with the promoter if they can get into a bigger room, if they can work with a different entity and share credit on the show. So not just this act. Booking a band, any band, is a complex algebra of geography, desire, and creativity. You have to take so many factors into play to be able to put together a routing that not only makes sense fiscally, you know, you don't want a band going Philadelphia, Portland, Oregon, Massachusetts, San Diego. You know, we jokingly refer to those as Star of David routings, you know, where the band's crisscrossing their own path many times. So you have all these things that you're working on to make sure that the tours fit together. And there's circular pieces and it's a triangular puzzle. It's difficult, but it's delightful gotcha very cool very cool well you know lastly here i guess we were curious to hear how you got involved in the white stripes organization sort of to begin with maybe you could give us a little bit of background into that at the time i was interning at the agency group i had been there since before 9 11 actually and i had proved my medal and they made me a paid bullpen assistant not a position they had at the time they created it for me and After a couple of months, the position became available to become a tentative assistant for Dave Kaplan. They had bought his agency, Easy Action Industries, and he decided to move to New York instead of to L.A., where we had an office as well. At the time, he was a one-man organization. He was operating out of his apartment, basically, and the band was just on the cusp of blowing up. And I got in with him, and uh, we hit it off, so it was pretty good. That you know, first few months was a trial period, but thankfully, you know, everything worked out <laughs> for the best, and I stayed on with the you know agency with Dave Kaplan and with the Stripes and Rackentors and Dead Weather and Greenhorns, Blanche. Uh, when Loretta Lynn toured with Jack Lawrence and Jack and Patrick and uh, Soledad Brothers, Detroit Cobras. I mean, you listed numerous bands that were in that orbit, and you know, I was lucky enough to be part of that world. Um, well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, we had a blast talking with you. You've seen so much. You contributed so much to the White Stripes and uh, to Jack's other groups and to so many groups that we enjoy uh, being able to go and play places that James and I have personally seen. So we thank you very much for that. And yeah. We'd love to uh, have you back on again, talk about some more stuff. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll get back to the show here, James. Yep. Thank you so much, Mark.
For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Santa Clauses? <laughs> We're at least belligerent Santa Clauses. I'm a little bit belligerent. More mulled wine, please. <laughs> <laughs>see correctly that your number is in Hackensack, New Jersey? That's where the cell phone is distributed from, but yeah. I see. Okay. I was about to get all excited. James and I are Jersey boys originally, and so we were... I'm uh, a Jersey boy. I'm in Fort Lee. Oh, Fort Lee. There you go. We're from South Brunswick, uh, which we insist is Central Jersey, even though uh, no one believes us. Hey, it's, it's Jersey. <laughs> it's definitely Jersey. <laughs>
I went to Hackensack in high school, so I oh. know the area. <laughs> All right. It's going to kill you either way, so eat it because it's tasty. <laughs> I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the show's As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages. That's Facebook.com slash Yesterday and Today Podcast or Facebook.com slash Third Men. Or you could head to society 6 dot com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's society the number six dot com slash K A M I N S K I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. <laughs> Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello, the lights just went out. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we need your help. <laughs> Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.